This is The Saucer Life, where we look at flying saucers. My name is Aaron Gullius, and this is Bonus Encounter 6, Be Normal, George Adamski at Giant Rock, 1955. We are taking a week off to hopefully get ahead on production of Series 4, because everything that's not the podcast has gotten extremely busy lately. There is a chance kind of a good chance that series four is going to go back to being every other week instead of every week, uh, just to bring you the, uh, the relatively best product possible. This recording, um, is from 1955. It's George Adamski speaking at the giant rock flying saucer convention, which was a mainstay of the, the West coast saucer scene for a very long time organized by George Van Tassel. Now, in 1955, Adamski had just released his book, Inside uh, Inside the Spaceships, and this is after the expose from Jim Mosley. And basically where we are with Adamski at this point in 1955 going forward is that um, there are two camps. There are people who believe Adamski, and there are people who believe Adamski is a fraud. There are very few people in the field who are in between those two, uh, those two camps. Um, and so Adamski has has sort of, especially in Inside the Spaceships, abandoned all pretense of of trying to prove things. Um, and and you know. People either believe his photos or they don't believe his photos. They either believe him or they don't believe him. So it, it, it's a good speech. He gets kind of gets kind of riled up at the end. He's a good speaker. Um, some of these contactees weren't, but but Adamski is uh, is a good speaker. This audio is uh, from Wendy Connor's Faded Discs archive. Wendy Connor's um, years ago collated hundreds, probably hundreds of. Um, UFO-related audio recordings from the the late 40s on up through the 70s and I think early 80s, and um, much of this collection is now uh, is now on the Internet Archive for use. Uh, as far as this recording goes, I edited out a little bit of the uh, the beginning where it was talking about the previous speaker, who you aren't hearing, and I tried to clean up the audio as much as I could. There was a very annoying sort of hum going on. So I got to play with my uh, audio software a little bit for that. And without further ado, here is George Adamski. We have with us today a man who perhaps has been more instrumental because he has brought tangible, tangible evidence, the nature of photographs and other things, to the people of the world. He is a man who I think very highly of, a man who I have worked with and who I respect very much. I would like at this time to introduce my very good friend and colleague, co-author of Flying Saucers of Landed, Mr. George Adem. Thank you very much, George. We're all George. And I'm mighty glad to be here at this time. Since last year, I disappointed most of you people on account of being in New York City at the time. But before going on with what I'm about to say, I want to also mention something here that should have been mentioned long before this. And that is that this is the birthday of George Van Tassel. (laughs) 
you have heard all sorts of uh, things about the flying saucers, their purposes, and many other things. I want to bring this down to a little scientific base that you may fully understand what has taken place. We find here today that much confusion goes on in regards to how these people can travel as they are traveling or have been reported to be moving through space, making such a terrific uh, turns and so many other things. Also, do they look like us? So let us go into a field of analysis a little bit, and we'll soon find out just about what we might expect of other people on other planets. You have never read a book, and probably you never will read one, where it would tell you that our Earth has been created by a hokey-pokey idea, or that it's been created somewhere else, and finally thrown into a present position on which we find ourselves. Instead, you will find that our Earth has been created out of space, or within space. Naturally, if it was created within space, then space itself must have the elements of which this Earth could be made up of. We have the evidence that space do have such elements of which bodies can be made of, because your lightning time, when the lightning bolts strike, it's a pretty solid piece of matter. If it hits you in the head, you know it. We find that that bolt is made simultaneously in space by two lines of forces, known as magnetic lines or electrical lines of force, crossing each other just like two hot wires would, producing enough heat in that contact to actually solidify all matter surrounding that territory and therefore bringing it down as a bolt is known as a lightning bolt. Yet we may look out into space for a moment, and we find there is nothing between us and the sky. But did you ever sit in the room after your mother or yourself has cleaned the room up so well that you couldn't find any dust on any of the furnishing? Yes, you probably sat in such a room any time. And all of a sudden you find a beam of light coming through from the sunlight, and showing you the dust that is flying in that room. That's not what you can picture space life. And since the Mother Earth has been made up or been born within space of the elements of space, it must be then admitted that everything that that Mother Earth has produced upon its body, knowing as Mother Nature, that it must have been there previously before it became a ball known as Earth. So in a minute form of these elements, at one time at the free space, we find that the germ for a worm and the pattern for a human being, as well as we might say the uh, seed for a blade of grass, has already been in space. Only took that combination to come together as it did, and as it did come together, made the solid as we today know to us. And we do know the elements of which it is made up. Therefore, knowing that, we segregate the system in which our planet is now living and from the rest of space. And within the system we find planet Venus, planet Mars, Jupiter, and all others are also living within that one system. They were two born of that same system and that's them, they naturally are going to have 
The same combination in chemical composition as our Earth today has. Therefore, it is to, uh, it is to reproduce as it has. We find that we reproduce the same kind of form in every detail, like that of grass, birds, animals, humans, and so down the line, just as the Earth did itself. But we can take and go into chemistry, and once we combine certain chemical in a certain way, it will be produce certain things. And if it's repeated, it can be repeated thousands of times, still will produce the same thing. So we then must admit that chemistry teaches anything at all, then it must be admitted that other planets would have reproduced the same thing we have reproduced upon all world. And of course, if you go to your religious side, you will find that it does speak worlds upon worlds and doesn't say, say anything about them being any different than yours and uh, or our world here on which we live. Now, in reference to the speed, we go to the speed question. We find that the Earth at the moment is moving around 18 and a half miles per second. None of us know that we are moving at all. We're sitting still. And naturally, no one would even suspect it moving the way we uh, feel the situation, and yet we are moving. All because that while the Earth is moving, it produces what is in aerodynamics knowing an airflow. That airflow is known to us on Earth as an atmosphere within which we live. The fringe of it is somewhere 200 and some odd miles away from the Earth. Naturally, that's where the friction would be known had we been, if we were living out there, but not here. To convey the idea to you a little bit more, let us say that if we put a man on a yoke of an ape, and then he's uh, drowned, so to speak, by the weight of an ape, and then the shell is the protection of him. If he was thrown then, the whole egg was thrown through space, you wouldn't even know it. Because the fringe of the egg, or so-called the shell, would take the brunt of resistance, and not the yoke, not the man sitting on the yoke. Well, that's about the way we are living on the earth. And these people have actually uh, learned how to produce the same condition round a man-made ship. In other words, they have studied their planet, which we should have studied ours the same way, have learned that the earth world is behind, no wings or nothing of the kind, yet it travels through space of 18 and a half miles per second. They have studied that and have learned that, and then trying to duplicate that by a man-made so-called satellite known to us today as a spaceship, which they have finally succeeded in doing. So when they now move through space from planet to planet, they are actually are moving in a sea of their own atmosphere or gravity, which they produce by utilizing the natural forces known as magnetic forces or static electricity in the early days. We find that in a book called Astronomy, uh, written by Arthur Hardy in 1936, we are told on page 72 there that everything, the smallest body in space, including the large body, is actually controlled by what we term to be gravity. Yet gravity is produced by motion in no other way. For instance, if you had an airplane traveling, it's a gravitational condition created by its movement, known in the aerodynamics as an airflow, that keeps the plane up there and moving, keeps it from falling. Yet if that plane stops moving, it will fall to earth. The same would be true 
if we would stop rotating as we are now doing, we would find that we die in an instant almost due to the lack of air that would be lost by the stillness of the earth. It's only the movement of the earth that produces the air we know as atmosphere. So we can see the relationship between the earth and the ship. The ship the same way. They have learned that being able to utilize the natural energy, which we are not too far from, in the way of research, ready to hook on to it, so to speak. And once we do, we do. They can do the same thing. There is really no myth in it. There is nothing mysterious about it anymore than it was about to do when it was brought up. Once it's brought up, it's a simple matter. The same thing is in this case. Once we hook on to the same power that propels our planet and all other planets throughout the universe, we can build a ship then and go on and on and produce the desired atmosphere round the ship thereby. We can make any and every kind of a turn that we desire, not even know it any more than we know now that we're moving at 18 and a half miles per second while sitting up on the top of this earth. You might say then that the earth itself is nothing but a big spaceship. The only difference between the earth and a spaceship such as, as the flying saucer is called is that the earth is riding on its orbit, so-called on the rail, while the spaceship is being able to be maneuvered throughout space from planet to planet, from system to system. That's the only difference. And man has got the potentials within him to unfold in those channels, and his limits are no such a thing. He can go on unfolding, so long as he complies with the laws of a divine state or that of nature. If he complies with that, he can learn any and everything and all the laws that are governing the worlds upon worlds besides our own. So the mystery really is not a mystery whatever. I've been on the ship many times since the first contact. I've been in them and flown in them and made many contacts. I know what I talk about. I walk into a ship just the same as I walk into any airplane of our own. I find no difference whatever. I don't even know that I'm moving. In fact, I notice movement in the airplane, but I do not notice any movement as far as those ships are concerned. Because our airplanes, our uh, whole system is moving what is turned to be a brute force. While we and the ship are using what is known to be natural, non-resisting force. You might say, the way they operate, for instance, they hook on to this power which they have done. They operate at 10% of that cumulated power, which is 100% cumulation. They utilize 90% of the power for self-protection, so to speak. In other words, they radiate from the skin of the ship this force in a negative field and repel anything that might come, such as a meteorite and any other thing, touch them, they repel that. And they keep on moving. They produce the condition around the ship something like this. Everyone should be able to see how that's done. And that is, you have a still pool of water. You throw a pebble into the still pool of water, and what do you find? The primal force went into action where the pebble dropped. From there on, you see a wavelet after wavelet going out towards the shore. Each wavelet, as it goes out towards that shore, gets milder and milder. But the one, first one produced by the primal wave is actually equal to that of, the sh of that primal state. So the ship does the same thing. Goes into action, produces the radiation from its body outwardly, 
It can extend it for 250 or 2,000 500 miles or any distance, depending on the amount of power it is using. And it produces a wavelet after wavelet just like that. And supposing that you did fire a bullet into it while they're traveling, you'd probably penetrate the first, second, third wavelet. But by the time you get down to the first wavelet from the skin or the second wavelet from the skin, you're already uh, have exhausted your force. And you could not touch that ship. Take, for instance, the rocket system we're talking about going down in outer space. If we want to travel at 25,000 miles per hour, by the time we get down to uh, get to the moon, we're going to be sandpapered to a tissue stage, and we'll never make it. On the other hand, if we use this force here, we can get up there and back again without any harm whatever, never even know that we have left the Earth. That's how smooth the riding would be. Because if we pressurize the ship at our pressure stage, at 14.7, which is sea-level pressure, the first wavelet radiating from the body of the ship is also 14.7. In other words, the ship traveling at 50,000 miles per second, you could still get out and sit on top of it and never know that you're moving, nothing to blow you off. All because you are enveloped in that first layer or the first wavelet in line with the pressure that is in the ship. We can see many things, how those things are operating, how they're done. And they're not hard to see once you expand your mind just a little bit further. Now I have heard many talks this morning, and I've heard none of them tell you anything about the things that have taken place last year. Everybody seems to kind of say to you, well, had the biggest year at such and such a time, and so forth. But the truth lies right here, that the greatest amount of sources ever seen in our time was last year, except the papers did not carry them. But it was last year. Last year, we had 82 personal contacts, like you and I talking to each other, throughout the world. 82. Four of them in the United States, the rest of them throughout the world. France alone had seven contacts in the course of six weeks prior to Mondas France coming into power. I'm wondering sometimes if Mondas France wasn't right, really taught how to get into that stage when he was not known before, yet became the man of the hour. All right? We find that because I have papers from France. I get mail from all parts of the world. And I have papers from France telling me that there's not a diplomat in France that doesn't know something about space people. We also find that there's a big landing took place in Rome or near the Vatican. We also find that the landing made in uh, Brazil, New Zealand, in different places. Take, for instance, the one that, in Brazil. Well, there were surveyors out there, and they were surveying in the jungles of Brazil when the ship landed with five men and two women walked out of it and they talked to. We didn't get none of that. I have a letter right in my pocket, something that I must admit to you that we have confused it completely, and that is, Here's a letter that comes from uh, Norway telling about those two sisters. It was sent to me only to confirm the idea whether that contact there was anything like mine to help the sisters out. And here we've been told that Celebine and Billy Ferris had supposed to admit it that he was the one that met the girls and that he's the one they talked to that he landed his helicopter there. Yet here I have a letter here that tells that this Billy Ferret in Stuttgart, Germany, finally called the press and told the press that that was a darn lie and it's written that way here. 
That's a darn lie that he never landed in that part of the country, and he have never talked to any berry-picking women. Yet, that's the kind of news we get. We don't get it straight, as we should get it. We find this lot of stuff going on, ever so much. Contacts have been made on a large scale this last year, lot more than ever before, and they are being made steadily all over the world, except that our press does not carry it, but other papers do carry it, although the same thing seems to be found everywhere all over the world. I do not know what the influence really are. I don't really know. Because to me, this is more realistic and more precious than anything on the face of the earth. I will say that as far as bringing what truth we have, none of us is perfect, but what truth we do have, we should get it as it is given. It does belong to the world and not any particular group. I don't care who it is. Yet I do know, and I may say this, that if I am informed correctly, you shall find in the next two months information coming out to the general public of the nation, probably throughout the world, that there is a special group that is actually interested in this so much that it'll do anything, go to any end to stop the truth from coming forward. And I have that kind of an information, and I do not know whether it'll come out in the next two months or not, but looks like it may come out. Yet I also know, because I have to send a questionnaire to these sources when they ask for it. And I have given them what I know to be true, and what I didn't know, I cannot answer for. Because no man can know all the truth, and no man will ever know all the truth. But all the men can combine and make the truth as they see it. I would hate to live in a world of one opinion. I would be very dead world. But I do know that there are three great branches in this world that are now working in favor of the source of truth coming out. And I do not know what is going to come out in next two weeks, next three months, or what. But I'll assure you one thing, that if it works and continues to work as it is now, this will no longer be a myth. But don't think on any, any official statement coming from any governmental agency of the world. Don't bank on that, because that would not do too much good anyway. Because at the present time, the thing is jacked up, and might be said, altogether to a hostile angle, regardless. And so it's got to come from far better source than that before the world can settle down and accept these people on the basis as they themselves would like to be accepted. One thing is definite, and that is, just last week or so, I was going to uh, Borrego Valley. I have witnessed that effect in Borrego, that between 100 and 200 ships been seen, 10 minutes or 12, on March the 1st. As they were going to Borrego and saw them, something like these clouds you've been watching. You better watch those clouds because you never can tell what they are. They may appear just like that, but they keep on flicking by, off and on. And especially the intensity of illumination, you better start putting your glasses up there and actually examine them. Because that's the way we spot that one at that time. We took a really flock of them there. So they are really moving in faster than ever before. They're not here to threaten us in any shape or form. They're not here, like when Mr. Dr. Williamson says, to say the goody-goody and let the baddie-baddie go to dig it. Not at all. But what they are here mostly for and are coming for is this. We do know for a fact that if you study but a little bit, that Admiral Byrd went to Little America prior to war, 
World War number two. When he come back, he give a report. And he said that it was nothing but ice and snow. He left his camp there only to return later. And after he returned it, he couldn't find his camp. It was snowed in and iced in. Yes, in 1946, he went to Little America. And what report do you thought he brought back? He brought back the report that ice and snow has been throwing rivers, lakes, and been forming, and even vegetation here and there begin to show. Which only proves one thing, that the earth has shifted, or that condition of a climatic change would have not taken place. The earth has actually shifted to some degree. Now, to what degree, I couldn't tell you, although I believe that we have instruments good enough to detect the shift as to how far it's gone, and uh, how, far, uh, how much farther it may go. Now, an atomic bomb may help, may not. That I couldn't say what it would or it wouldn't. It's not doing us any good the way it is, that's true. But whether it would help the earth to tilt faster or not, I could not say. But it is shifting. There's no question. Scientists know that. And in fact, it's not long ago when some of their papers did carry and claimed that there was a shift taking place to quite an extent. If that was true, then we're about on the verge of catastrophe. But I don't quite believe that we're that far gone. Although if it keeps on shifting, it's only a fulfillment then of a cycle. It is the shifting to destroy us because we ourselves may be bad or good or indifferent. It is a cycle ending, and that's another thing why the space men are observing today. That's a major thing. We find that this shift naturally will change conditions in space. Take two mites like here in the present position. will have a certain effect. Reverse them, and they'll have another type of effect. And that effect would be known naturally in space, as far as space is concerned, especially the system within which these bodies are found. And that is one big thing they are concerned with. And nothing more than that. Let me assure you that. Sure, they can teach us, they can help us out, out of our dilemma in many ways, if we care to be helped. They can set the table, but it'd be up to us to eat. That's all they can do, they can't do any more. So we must admit, here definitely, that they're not here to conquer us. In fact, I believe they'd have a mess on their hands if they did, so why bother when they haven't got it now? So the question comes then, if they're here, they're only here with one purpose, and that is to observe us as far as the planet itself is concerned. Moving, shifting as it does. This has taken place before. We have no actual history on the thing in, in a way, like we have history on other things, in reference to floods and so forth. But we do have a history to this degree, at least no flood could have been one of those days. Because we do have history where the earth has been flooded. That is not all of it, but quarter part of it each time. And if it's true that a 26,000 year cycle is ending, is sometimes we're speculating, then we can expect most anything, any time. But just when, no one can say. Although there is indication of various offsets in this world that have not been known before, but that, again, is but a natural cycle condition that is being brought about, and so any of you that think yourself terribly bad, don't feel bad about it, because you're not being punished for that. If you think that way, it's just a cycle that must take place. Just the same thing, we could add a lot of rain today, as it's been dropped by, but instead we got sunshine. So you can see that nature will take care of the whole thing if we'll only ourselves work with it a little bit, which these people on different planets seem to have done. 
and as a result, they're further ahead of us in many ways. True, a man doesn't rise by bread alone, or he lives by bread alone. He rises by the breath, he breathes, and that's the spiritual part of that man, and he should continue to be so. He should admit that part. But really, frankly speaking, all the different fears that have been promoted in all these past few years in reference to the flying saucers have no foundation whatsoever, none whatever. And let me say here to you definitely, the concept I have made was not made by a mental process. Let me affirm that to you. It was made on the same basis that I speak to you and you speak to me. Now, the first one was made by a mental exchange since he wouldn't talk English or any other language and I didn't understand his. But later on on the other context, we did talk language. I say a few words Polish and he spoke Polish as well. The language doesn't seem to be the trouble at all. And I found that through the last year that the contacts that were made by others the same way, first context in the other type, other contexts are finally an actual language of your world. How do they learn? Very simple. I'll tell you what I've seen in the ship. I've seen a screen, something like you have on TV, except maybe about 20 times as big. And let us say it this way, to give you some idea how they happen to learn our language, besides monotoning our radio. And that is, if I were to ask you to bring a chair from there to here, well, I have to have the picture in my mind as to what I want to say and what I wanted you to do. So, they catch the picture. Then I say the word, and they catch the word, the sound of my voice. And they catch the quote and goes on the screen. Then they see you move, picking up the chair, carrying it over, and they follow that up. And that way they keep repeating it, repeating it, until they have learned just what that sound meant. That's how simple it is. And we are, I understand, coming into that simplicity ourselves recently. So it's really not hard to understand. Besides being mentally developed as they are, which is actually a potential of every human being, the telepathic question is not a mystery. Let it be known that way. How many times have you had a hunch and called it a hunch? How many times have you walked up to an animal and you didn't say not yet the animal already knew what you're going to do, whether you're going to pet him or you're going to kick him? How many times have you walked up to a door and gone to knock on it and already had the answer, but you didn't really trust it? So you took the chance and finally got it verbally. And so many other things. That's what it is. It's not hard to develop. It's called mental telepathy, psychism, and many other types of names are given to it, but it's simple born with every human being when he's born on this earth. That's part of his real self, really speaking to the physical part of himself. So those are the things that are used, and they have developed those things. They are nothing mythical, religious, or anything else. In fact, you might say religious, and that's scientific, is nothing but one the same unit. One works in the abstract field, the other one works in the concrete field, so to speak. But neither one, for instance, can be independent of the other. For an example, if I'm an artist, I surely must have the picture in my mind first before I can paint it on the canvas. So if I were to tell you what sort of a picture I'm going to paint, <laughs> but once I paint it on the canvas, well, there it is. Now you know what I was talking about. You see the picture there in the concrete form. All right? But I have to have that pattern of an invisible space in my mind to begin with. And that's all mental uh, pictures really are. So, you may display the concrete one many times, but you cannot display the mental picture that I first perceived it 
from which the concrete one came. So that's what you might say Nintrocelestia in general actually is. It's simple. There's nothing to it except that we don't give as much time to it as we do to the other. We don't trust ourselves, in other words. Let me show you while I'm at this base here what the whole thing is about. For instance, I can take all you people right now, put you all in one room on a sensitive floor, very sensitive, that a tick like that would produce the sound of a thunder. And I'll pass a shadow on that floor, walking on that floor. And the eyes will acknowledge that shadow and say, I saw the shadow of a man go down or a woman. But the ears immediately, the hearing, will say, now eyes, don't fool me. Don't tell me you saw somebody walking across that floor. Because if you did, I'd have heard the, uh, the sound that it would have made as it walked across that floor. That floor is very sensitive. So there's your ears condemning the, the sight. On the other hand, I'll produce a sound on the floor of a footprint or uh, somebody walking across that floor, and the eyes don't see nothing. So the eyes will condemn the ears and say, now listen, uh, ears, if anybody crossed that floor, I'd have saw him. But the ears say, but I heard somebody will cross there. But the eyes say, no, you didn't. Because if they did, I'd have saw him. See what a confused state we're in, really? It's no wonder we're in a mess. We coordinate those senses of ours a little bit better so they respect each other. And when they do, they'll respect all other mankind. For a man that has no respect for his own self, and he doesn't in that case, he's divided, he's confused, he surely cannot be expected to respect his fellow being. I think when I speak man or thyself, you shall know I think there's one part that we should know about ourselves and begin to coordinate and get ourselves to some state of certainty rather than the confused state of division that constantly keeps questioning ourselves and gets us confused. The more we question, the more confused we become. So you can see the whole program is based on scientific and virtual, if you want to call it, combination as a unit. There is no strangers in this setup. I would like to say something like this in conclusion, and that is this. The Catholic sisters go up to Mount Palomar a lot. The sister Sophia is not supposed to answer them in forming her own opinion. So you bring them down to me. And they say, well, I'm science atheist. I said, some maybe, but not major science. They say, well, what do you mean by that? I said, science works with God while a uh, preacher talks about God. And they say, I mean that. I said, well, supposing that you go and buy a, a beautiful painting of some master artist. You bought that painting. And you didn't see the master artist himself as a person. You took that picture home. The more you study the picture, the more you seem to understand the mind of nature. Well, the scientist, true scientist, works with nature. And nature is God's own creation. And the more he works with nature, the more he understands the mind that created it. Well, a preacher doesn't do that, so he only talks about it. And the sister is, as you might think that she might have rebuked it, but it was not so. She says, isn't that beautiful? In other words, people that do some thinking are really are, are realizing that, the common, that the, it takes the two to make the world as a whole. You've got to have the two. And just the same thing as you probably have heard this story of one time or another where Jimmy been taught the Bible for years there, and all of a sudden his uh, mother's having a dinner and uh, cooking a dinner, and he says, Mommy, he says, would you stop for a moment? Yes. What is it that you want? Uh, didn't you tell me somewhere in the early part of the teaching from the Bible that uh, we came from the dust? She said, why, yes, uh, Billy, I did. Oh, why do you ask at this time? Well, I've been looking under that bed of ours. There's either somebody coming or going. 
Well, in other words, if we came, we got to go. So what's the difference? There got to be two sides to everything, and the two sides usually work in the one unit. So, uh, my friends, the whole thing is more realistic and it's worldly. Relative. It doesn't belong to any particular clique or anything like that. It's on a worldly basis. We are today on a, at a crossroads. We can either go the straight way and go on to glory far greater world than we have ever known or our children would ever know, but we can also pick the other course and annihilate a civilization as other civilizations have been annihilated. But to follow this up, we must follow it up on a concrete basis. We must not fly off in the clouds because clouds do dissolve and you might take a good tumble. Stay on the ground, be yourself, be normal, that's all it's asked of you. Be natural and we'll get far. And we have to stick together if we're going to be the means by which the world itself will finally know the truth. We cannot keep dividing this and expect the people of the world to understand the whole thing and cooperate. We cannot do that. We must have real common understanding where everybody, regardless of belief or state of development, can grasp and understand and thereby become a great help. So thank you all and all for listening to me. And at the same time, do not forget that this is George's birthday. So thank you again. Well, be normal, guys. Be normal. Hope you enjoyed that. Um, we'll be back on February 4th with You Can't Say That on TV, kicking off Series 4. And until next time, keep watching the skies, because the skies are watching you.